be too fat for your honour. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's funny, is it? No, Your Grace. No? You don't like the hands joke? It's usher in the poor boy. You heard the hand. The king's too fat for his armour. Go find the breastplate stretcher. Now! Third time's a charm. <laughs> Owns of the series, everyone. Owns of the series. It feels weird. We've tried. We've tried. How's your time in the wilderness been? Uh, my time in the wilderness has been extremely hot and humid. Mm-hmm. And I have had more pleasant times in the wilderness than I did this last week. So so tough. That's, that's all I got to say. <laughs> Although you were just telling me that your air conditioning is broken. So truly, I feel like you've been on the oh, same level. What's more, if you're hearing some unfamiliar background noise in the podcast right now, everyone, there's a, an entire window unit missing right now in my place. So there's just exposed air to the outside world just rushing past my <laughs> the room I'm recording in right now. It's like all odds are stacked against us, but... We here. The training wheels are off. The series is over. Nothing matters anymore. Our thoughts. I mean, wait, what? <laughs> Our feelings matter, I think. That's something I've, I learned in the process of preparing for this episode. And I know last week before our live stream failed, which was, what was that? What did we decide to, that the overall reason for that was? That your phone was overheating. Was that what it was? Yeah, the phone was overheating mm-hmm. because the room was so hot. That was yeah. weird. And then the computer was overheating. That was a strange thing. Anyway, technology. I'm excited, though. I feel like we've had we've had a long time to think about Owns of the Series, which I'm actually grateful for because this is a really intimidating thing to tackle, at least for me, especially coming off this last season. And so I've had a lot more time to sit on it. My opinions are probably just going to be... The same as they would have been if I had sat down to record the first time that we tried to do this. But I feel like it's really tough because there's a lot of... We get so caught up in like the second half of the season or yada, yada, yada. And so I think it's difficult to look at everything as a whole. And we had our opportunity to do our rewatch series a while back where we went through most of the seasons. And that was really cool because... It gave me a chance to really visit each episode piece by piece. But still, like, when's the last time you really dug into season two, you know? Mm-hmm. So thinking about moments that matter to you the most or one of our questions is who influences the series the most, things like that, I think it's a really daunting question to ask. And so I, I think that know. you had a lot of insight on that, though, when we were putting the questions together because we were thinking about all the possibilities and it was really easy to overthink it. But rather than overthinking it or rather than even over preparing, which is convenient, I'd say, for the episode, if the things that I think really are for the conversation that we're going to have right now and that you, you're all sharing with us right now a few weeks after the series has ended is the one that when we look back at the series, it, the, the things that are clear to us without needing to – look for the opinion of someone else to give us some kind of okay that it's okay to feel that way. Like, do other potentially significant thought leaders think that this opinion about Game of Thrones is cool or potentially cutting edge? That's not what should be in your heart when you're thinking about, well, the series is over. What right. what is what was Game of Thrones to me? What was Game of Thrones between my friends and I? And what was the series itself culturally? Uh, culturally, and I still don't know the answer to really any of those. But maybe we'll get closer in this conversation mm-hmm. today. Yeah, you have to go with your gut, 
And so I know that a lot of people sent in their owns and comments and they went with their gut. And so I'm going to try to do the same because it's it's different for everybody. So that's so, so the did, setup. Did you like it? I know that you don't watch Game of Thrones. <laughs> Do I like Game of Thrones? I know that you don't watch a lot of uh, TV shows. You stay busy doing a lot of things. I mean, I like, yeah. Maybe things. I mean, you could, I know that you can make time to watch TV, that's for sure, but it's something that you don't necessarily prioritize for, right? Like, you spend most of your time, like me, watching cringe compilations or weird food reviews on, on YouTube. On YouTube. Right? Yeah, that's kind of my go to entertainment source. Yeah. So maybe I'm not like, I'm not a TV critic, obviously, and I'm not somebody who I feel like I've watched a lot of the greats. And there was a couple years there where I caught a lot of my all-time faves, like The West Wing or Friday Night Lights, that I can draw many comparisons to. But so that's all I have to say. What about, about Mad Men? What about Lost? But, I can't believe oh, yeah, you haven't Lost mentioned Mad either. Men. I know because I talk about Lost every. I feel like I talk about Lost every episode that we do. But can we? Can you tell? Sorry, go on. Well, I was going to say, so like, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be the kind of person who's going to be able to really talk about Game of Thrones and the grand scheme of things in terms of amazing television, um, because that's just not what my background is. And all I can really bring to it is the experience that we've had from a fandom experience and all that kind of thing. And mm-hmm. like that shared, and we talked about this a lot while, while the season was on, is this one of the last big shared TV opportunities that we're going to have because of the way that... Netflix and things are kind of all every other million streaming service. Things are all kind of released either at the same time or not everybody has access to it. Kind of like the way that they do to not that HBO is general television programming, but everyone has their grandma's login. So um, (laughs) anyway, (laughs) you know what I'm trying to say? Oh, yeah. So I don't know what your question was anymore, but that's what I have to say about that. I'm just wondering how it landed for you because I know that we've had We've had some pretty intense conversations about stuff outside of A Song of Ice and Fire over the years, and it was really fun to do it for the podcast, and I'm glad that we're continuing to do it. But when we talk about TV as a whole, or just really, I I think it's kind of unfair thinking about the conversation as, oh, how did they package it? Like, was it a movie, or was it a TV show, or did they call it a web series? Just just the attempt of artists to come together and to make a story to move us for whatever reasons they have personally. I know there's questionable people associated with a lot of stuff. And I know a lot of us make really questionable decisions just in general in our everyday life. So those things can color everything. But what really matters, at the essence of it, I think, is what was the the purpose, at least the, the, the question I'm asking you now, like what was, of all the purposes and all the points that were trying to be made, whether it be TV or movies, you and I, you and I have had some intense convos about shows like Lost and particularly Mad Men, which I know were both propped up in the sort of golden era of TV. I guess Lost came before that, but Mad Men definitely enjoyed its run during the golden era of TV. But for example, we didn't talk about Breaking Bad during those times. So I feel like I those those are those are some nuance between what you liked. And I'm curious how Game of Thrones fits in that universe for you. I know that you like Feudal society, swords and shields, knights, princesses, that kind of stuff, because you're also right. a fantasy fan like me. 
and you dive deep in that with other books and stuff that you read. But just as a TV show to you, emotionally speaking, when you think of how Mad Men made you feel, and you're probably grateful that it happened, it's like, oh, that was a cool era of my life, and it was probably bittersweet when it was over. We're now in the position on the podcast to talk about that after time has passed, and now it's been a few weeks after it. Does Game of Thrones, outside of the fact that you worked on a podcast the whole time, does it stack up and land in the same era or sorry, the same universe as that stuff does for you? Well, I didn't work on a podcast the whole time. So I feel like I also had, I had the opportunity to kind of be on the outside looking in and just like hoping that I could ever (laughs) be welcome to the club. (laughs) Um, But I feel like, I don't know, such a broad, a broad question. And I'm one of those people who is very driven by Character. I, I really love character-driven narratives. I'm one of those people who is less interested in the world that they're in and is more interested in the how, what, and why of the decisions that they're making and the feelings that it makes them feel and the feelings that it makes me feel. And so there's this like great line from Parks and Rec when Ben White is talking about how Game of Thrones isn't a fantasy story. It's about, <laughs> I'm butchering it, but about real world characters and real world problems in a fantasy setting okay. or something like that. <laughs> so I'm a huge fantasy fan, of course, but in terms of somebody I look for very like character heavy over world building, I guess you can say. And mm. so um like I love Friday Night Lights because I really love all of my favorite characters on Friday Night Lights and not because I love football, which I like both of those things. But you know what I mean? Anyway, that's a terrible Well, thing. it makes it easy to really love what's happening when you have like this warm spot already for the game that they're playing and also the positions. You're like, Smash is a running back and you, you know what I mean? Like you're able to fully visualize not only what he's doing as a player or as uh, a part of their team, but as like his, his aspirations in life because he's right now the star running back in high school. It's like, well, What's the projection for Smash Taylor for the rest of it's right? It helps, but that's also the same deal with Game of Thrones, and that's why I'm curious. Like uh, set beside Mad Men, Lost has got some really clear mystery, whereas a show like Mad Men is is based in a period in the United States, and I don't think anything strange happens other than that episode where they take LSD and that episode where they get that really crazy (laughs) vitamin B12 shot and basically meth in their asses and they're they're dancing in the office. Other than those moments, I'm pretty (laughs) sure it's grounded in in reality. So there was no – unless you have like a hard-on for the 60s, which you and I haven't talked about before yet. (laughs) (laughs) If we do or don't. (laughs) (laughs) But I know that you you like the elements that are – in Game of Thrones, and then whenever it started to coalesce to the the culture, or, or so more so, people really wanted it to coalesce. Maybe it was merchandising companies, but whenever it was like the houses of A Song of Ice and Fire, the families of Westeros sort of became like a weird version of the houses of Harry Potter. In I some hate way. that, by the way. It's it's a weird Continue. deal, but people like to associate themselves like that, and it's a fun way to interact with the story. And you can get tattoos and all that stuff. So it's already there. It was already kind of, the foundation was already there for you to really like it. I'm just wondering now that the show's over, if you like what they did with it compared to other stuff that took up the same amount of time watching wise, or at least, you know, it was a, they were considered, that's a better way to say it. They were considered for the same types of awards. Yeah. I mean, I feel like 
both of our feelings about these last couple of seasons haven't been a secret. And I don't feel like how we feel necessarily differs from how a lot of people who are listening to this podcast feel. I feel like things really fell short in the last, especially the last two seasons. And I feel like, I feel like we could have done a better job. Like things could have been different. And I feel like Game of Thrones kind of took a little bit more of a downhill trajectory Mm -hmm. in terms of the things that really matter to me in a story. Like the character is becoming more than just lines that you can put on a t-shirt, you know? So I think that we had moments of that that we glimpsed throughout the last two seasons, but I just feel like the weight of what makes Game of Thrones great was lost somewhere along the way. Yeah, it and I wasn't think that's overwhelming. Okay. Like in, in previous seasons, when one thing happens, then another thing. Think about the destruction of the Sept of Baelor, where it achieved technical prowess. It also achieved this really nice synchronicity between the music and the way that we were feeling in a way that went beyond normal soundtracks in a TV show. And then just when you think, you know, stuff is falling and the ashes are going to settle eventually Tommen walks to the windowsill and kills himself in epic fashion that also looked really cool it's just all of these things that they were nailing and it was kind of overwhelming it's one of my favorite scenes yeah it's good of the series but the way you described the last couple you were like it had moments of that sort of transcendence of the form but for me I when I, when you were saying that I was my my mind was going yeah but it just wasn't it just really didn't overwhelm you. It left a lot of room to like wonder what could happen rather than being like, this is exactly what's happening. Right. Right. And I know that, you know, it's, it's really difficult to nail the end of a story, especially when you've got nothing, when you've, you don't have the book material to work with and you don't have, you got all the money and time in the world, but you've put yourself on some weird constraint. You and know? you're already it's, the baddest bitch in the room. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's like difficult. already. You have nothing to prove. Yeah. So, you know, I don't, I think I've been thinking a lot about this over the last couple of weeks since the series ended. It's like, I don't think that the way that the seasons, last couple of seasons played out ruins my experience when I think about Game of Thrones. To me, I feel like as cliche as it is, it's like the real Game of Thrones is the friends we made along the way. Like we still have had the best time talking about it and getting into it and analyzing it and i love nothing more than being angry at book to screen adaptations i feel like that's why i was put on this earth and so <sighs> really yeah it was you're so, such an apologist anyway. for the potter films though <laughs> yeah, you I truly know, are it's like i feel like we haven't really been able to have those visceral reactions man did you anyway. really like them when you were a kid and you were growing up watching them where you were like oh my god they nailed it or did you ever have any sort of I, why are you asking me these questions? I'm just curious. It applies somehow. Everyone listening knows no. the way you answered this will somehow reflect <laughs> on your opinions of Song of Ice and Fire. Look, I'm a Prisoner of Azkaban apologist to the max. So that's something that we'll have to get into. <laughs> okay. True or false? Did you or did you not leave that theater? Sorry, the mic's messing up. Okay, it's back to normal. Uh, did you Did you or did you not leave that theater and say to people around you or maybe your parents like by the way they were moving worm telepath and prongs or like why wasn't that put in there or something like that of course of course i did of course i did you know me Mm -hmm. like i love i love to ruin family events with my harry potter theories but it still Um, wasn't enough for you to color it in a weird way because to me i feel like he 
he changed the way that the series felt for me. And when I was sitting in Prisoner of Azkaban, I felt like the way I always felt when I was reading the books. Yeah. And it looked the way it always was supposed to look in my head. Mm-hmm. And I really had that reaction to, I'm cool with like plot holes or whatever. Maybe. I don't know. I'm saying a lot of things that I don't understand because I'm thinking about Game of Thrones, all the plot holes that I'm not cool with. So I take that back. But anyway, Prisoner of Azkaban, I feel like, was a really important piece to set the tone for the rest of the series. And so but, I think people dismiss it because of some small, I'm sorry, detail about mm-hmm. Mooney, Wormtail, Padfoot, and Prongs. The story's not about them. And like right. the Marauders are this really interesting, cool backstory piece that I think add a lot of color to the story but they truly like at the end of the day we don't need to know about any other anybody other than Sirius's relationship with Harry and Lupin you know what I mean mm-hmm. so I feel like I'm sorry but I don't care about the Marauders I don't want to argue on that right now <laughs> I was just thinking, then what <laughs> I was just that's not fair well hearing you hearing you talk about that when you Put yourself in, and I put myself in your shoes, and it makes a lot of sense. And it makes me feel kind of like I'm a little bit incendiary about my opinion. And I think it probably comes from just loving the series so much that I'm questioning the choice that went into making that decision. Just at the root of it, that that's where it ends for me. I'm like, well, why did it have to be this way? Clearly, there's some kind of misunderstanding about the source material, which may or may not have translated into the production of the series. But it's different with that undertaking, even though it had a similar span of time and they stayed with their cast of characters and they were both shot in the United Kingdom. Not that that matters, but I could pick out some more similarities if you'd like. (laughs) (laughs) Basically, it's it's fun for me to pick apart because – it's two similar things in my life that uh, are important and that yeah. we, we talk about. So um, comparing and contrasting, I totally understand how people from the Song of Ice and Fire and Game of Thrones communities or or com- communities or not, whether it's just friends or family that I've talked to that aren't that into it they're just maybe they really love it as a tv show but it's not something that they've decided to sort of go into the world and try to find other people like them dedicate their lives to it partially (laughs) inside of um i I understand a lot of those opinions a lot more because of my experience growing up and feeling the same way about potter and stuff like that so looking back on the, the series as a whole i try to think about those moments that maybe could have been changed at the top level where if there was more understanding about the source material, then we could have had a better go of that go of it. And in the beginning we sort of felt like because the books weren't yet released and they're still in the same position, but imagine yourself sort of hopeful back then and you expect winds of winter to come anytime soon. Definitely not after the whole series is yeah. aired. Imagine and what that hope used to feel like. <laughs> I remember <laughs> just thinking about it. And um it was a it was a time where you could like let more pass by because there was always that weird, mysterious other, sort of like the others themselves, just floating in the background. 
And George was also working on the show up through season four. So it's really hard to question it when that's what the deal is. And people that were really smart and really invested in the series at that point were using clues based on decisions that the people running the show thought was important enough to put into it. And the people that were super fans were sad and angry and a lot of times upset about changes that they didn't like, about things that were just completely left out or about particular characterizations or just the sort of element of how the adaptation got translated to the screen. And sometimes that happens. (laughs) Yeah. It definitely happens to me. I can relate to it in a big, 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 big way. Well, I'm not... I'm cutting you off kind of so you can keep no, going please save me. putting it in the wrong direction. But I'm just saying one of our questions that we asked. So we asked four discussion questions. And the last one, I think we should go backwards or something like that. But the last one, question number four, it's if you could rewrite, rewrite one narrative, what would you do and how would you change things? And so when you think about either small moments or big moments or things that you wish you could have seen differently, whether it's in the early seasons when we're talking about book-to-screen adaptation or it's kind of later when it's these huge, grand, narrative, sweeping changes. What are your thoughts on, uh, like, what would you change if you if you had the opportunity to? I would have changed Littlefinger's decision to betray Ned, and I would have had him be regent and protector of the realm. And I would have had Ned Stark doling out judgment for the rest of the series, and it would have been a totally different thing. It would have been less drama and less, like, danger, but it would have been a lot of, like, our dudes riding high, having a good time, a lot of laughs, and uh, the shenanigans that happen would be, like, not infighting and be fights against enemies from afar. (laughs) Okay, so you want, like, a more black and white evil, good versus evil type of situation. Yeah, I think so. Okay. I mean, if I had one choice, I really didn't want to see Ned Stark die. That was a really sad thing for me. No, I think that's a good answer. I don't think we're trying to improve the show with this question. Is that, or at least with my answer, I don't think that that was my intention. What about you? Um, I don't know. I took a more literal good take on this. Good, question. you're like I think they should have revealed <laughs> Varys's fins, his gills. <laughs> Can, no, told us the oh truth gosh. before they killed him and left any chance of that off the table that might be one of my favorite moments of the series which is when we see that what was it last season when Varys is standing on the cliff <laughs> oh, and yeah. you can see his feet I know. and everybody were sending us screenshots of his feet <laughs> <laughs> I was like wow we really have made it made it out here no kidding Um, I think if I could change there's a couple things that I would change but I think the biggest thing, as I've been thinking about the series as a whole, is if we're going off of if things ended the way that they truly ended, I would change the way they handled Bran, I feel like, in the whole series. What would you have done? I would have not excluded him from an entire season. Interesting. Like showing training potentially? I just feel like I just feel like we really didn't get an opportunity to talk about who he is. I feel like like, think about season six and how much time we spent with him in these really cool places. But that just kind of, after that, he just be kind of became this guy who was just sitting around in his wheelchair talking about how he wasn't Bran anymore. Yeah. It's like, we get it, you know? I feel like Bran is this really powerful character who isn't always my favorite, but he really has the opportunity to change things and to 
do more than just sitting around in the courtyard waiting for Jamie Lannister pedally. You know what I mean? Yeah. And quoting other people's lines from other seasons. It's I just like, so on the nose hilarious. You know? It's just oh too, my gosh, like him just sitting me. there in the courtyard in the final season. It's Whoa. I mean, I was laughing at Brand jokes this season more than anybody else. I was watching probably actually twelve hours ago. I went down a, a whole of Do you think that he's an icon? Stop. <laughs> <laughs> what a rabbit hole everything. you said you were going down? Just videos of people making fun of Bran all season. Okay. Um, cool. On, in my Twitter faves. But anyway, I just feel like, to me, Bran being revealed to be the king of the Six Kingdoms at the end of the day could have been much more powerful if they had utilized Bran in the way that he should have been utilized instead of dumbing him down into this guy who just sits around when he truly has some real real powers and i want to know like like when we talk about the books we talk a lot about what brand's motive is and is he going to be able to use these powers for good or bad or gray or black or white you know silver. and i just or silver <laughs> i feel like all of that just kind of got washed away and it was just Yes, so much got swept up in that momentum (laughs) of the the end, right? A lot of stuff did, but there's just so much Do you want to talk about that for the rest of the episode? I'd be down. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah, we could. But I think that's just something to me. I mean, there's other stuff like how much I hate Dorn, but that's just... But what about how they treat little girls in Dorn? Don't you... (laughs) Can't you relate to that, you know? So, that's how I answer that question. Right on. That's uh, you must really not like it. Of all the things that you could have picked, I don't. I really hate it. I feel like they really did a disservice. If that's truly what the setup is going to be, and if they knew that all along, then why didn't they maybe do a better job? You know, <sighs> it'd be like that sometimes. It'd be like that. Uh, I'm trying to. Was find. Was there any while you're looking? Was there any? Got it. Um. You're talking about in Potter how the uh, characterization, not the characterization, but just the overall execution of how the director and everybody working on it, but maybe specifically uh, Alfonso Cuaron in this case, saw the world of Potter and it just made you feel the same way you felt. Just let's call it magical. It made you feel magical when you were watching it. Was there any stuff in the series that stood out from you or stood out to you? Like that, maybe whole episodes entirely, maybe just sequences. Uh, just things that I that made me feel some kind of way. Is that what you're asking? Or, or that also f- because of how much they understood, like what was at the essence of a song of ice and fire, and translating it so well that it also like the synchronicity of it, it, it uh, of the thing that you loved reading being realized made you feel like, oh yeah, cool. Or like just really in like Deathly Hallows Part 1 when Harry Hermione danced in the tent. And I was like, wow, they finally encapsulated everything I read. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, I guess that, like if that, that maybe that's what happens in Hard Home with the four horsemen popping on the hill. At least for me. Is that, that what, that's what it is for you? Yeah, that was like an addition that I think really landed. Obviously, we may never get that sequence in Hard Home, even though it is a bookism. Even though it is a place that 
wildlings are forming and that may potentially be the the site of something bad to happen like it it will probably won't be utilized in that same way and that's how i i guess i kind of relate that moment with hermione and harry where they took the the screen time to to sort of paint an emotion that you would get over a long course of reading the books right i would probably say and this is something i absolutely hated but also this is something I absolutely hated. But the, when they put Sansa in Jane Poole's position, I don't didn't like that. But what I liked about it when we get to the end of the series is her and Theon's relationship and the trust that they had in each other because of everything that they went through. And, you know, will they get to that level of... I felt like that was really well played and well done in this last season between the two of them. And some of my favorite moments were between the two of them. Like so, in season six when they were running. I know you really like that. I love that scene. And I just, I can't really put a finger on why I love everything about that. It was scene, just badass to come back to the, the series and for it to be, have such a strong shot. Uh, <laughs> 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 Fuck yeah. No, for it to have such a strong start, you know, with like new music. You were like, you know what I mean? It's like, this is so badass. Game of Thrones is awesome. It really resonated what a good with season. me. Yeah, such a good season. And so, it ended with Wins of Winter. Season six really went there. Yeah, they did. So, But so I, I hate what brought them to that. And, and I really struggled with it during season five. But I just feel like their relationship was a hi- highlight for me. And through the through the end of the series. So it's complicated. Cool. I'm going to read a couple answers from some folks. I'm curious what you think about this. Um, so first we've got Jen Calhoun who says, Jamie and Bran would live happily forever in Tarth, which, same. Right on. Um, curious what you think about this. At Azora High Five says, I would write in Fagon as it would have afforded more episodes and the narrative misses of the last two seasons would have been slam dunks. Ooh, that would have been cool. What were you going to say? I'll say that's an interesting because Fagon is somebody who is. We're trying to learn how to podcast becoming, again. It's been a couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs> what? I think we're doing a great job. <laughs> we got this. Fagon. He's somebody who's extremely important to the end of this a Song of Ice and Fire. And so we, who kind of would eventually take that role, I guess, from a Game of Thrones standpoint? I don't think we ever really saw that come to fruition, but. Um, would have been an interesting addition, I guess. Yeah, I mean, if it would have actually even been Fagon, let's, I know that that sounds crazy, and maybe that he would need an earlier introduction to feel really important, but they still tried that with Euron, so there's really no excuse to, to say it couldn't have been done. I think that maybe it would have given, obviously, more dimension to the Daenerys and Tyrion storyline and yeah. also their own personal arcs and really just fleshed out a lot of things. But I think it would have given an opportunity for the show to cast another really interesting actor in that role. And as we saw in that the showdown in King's Landing, um, the Golden Company were interesting for a while that they were there, but when they were not used, it was like worse that they were even there. So if they did Yeah, when they're just standing there yeah, in front of yeah, that was so the weird. gates, so the weird. Golden Company. Harry Strickland is there and everything. That's like relative to the idea of removing Fagon in the first place. I, I'm I'm not I wasn't in the room and so this is pure speculation, probably in the the negative category because it's more fun to do it that way. There's probably like they don't need that. They don't need the whole you know 
fake Targaryen plot to justify everything else because everyone loves it because all this other stuff is already going on and who needs to do that extra work and then you get to the end of things and it's like well something's missing it's almost like we didn't do extra work somewhere yeah um, at Heathen King chimes in with this and says, I would have included the Young Griff storyline instead of pinning Daenerys' fall under her grief and feelings for Jon. It seems to me the Young Griff stuff is likely to figure heavily into Daenerys' endgame if the books follow suit. Yeah, if they would have made me feel like they were in love too, then Heathen King's opinion there, I think, I've re- I reflect it. I maybe would have felt less of that way if they would have made me feel the exact way that they were wanting Trying. to be people so wanting people to feel like the the cave scene was an attempt to connect the past like brands sequences of seeing and also with the 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 symbols that we saw this is all an attempt to create that through line but it was in a way that didn't make us feel truly connected to stuff because Game of Thrones really doesn't do those weak sauce through lines that like we talked about before with the calamity in King's Landing when Cersei was blowing up the Sept. One thing that happened in that sequence was enough to put in a finale of the show because of what happened. But instead of that, it just kept going. It just mm-hmm. kept going. And there's just a, a lot of complexity. Battle of the Bastards versus The Long Night. There was so much more work put into The Long Night, it seems. And it was definitely held up that way. And I know that story-wise, this was essentially life versus death. So it was really important. And yet, I still heard more from a filmmaking perspective and maybe even from a viewer enjoyment perspective. But again, at that point, people's opinions were kind of tilted in the favor of not liking the final season for a lot of reasons. So this might not be right. The Battle of the Bastards was, it seemed to me, celebrated more and it yeah. took seemingly less work. That was kind of that kind of plays into the spiral that I had after I watched the behind the series thing that they did. What do you mean? I feel like I well, I just spiraled into a deep depression about <laughs> The fact that they put so much work into something and still so heavily miss the mark, in my opinion. I, I miss the mark is not necessarily the right way because I feel like the long night, that that battle, I felt like they did a lot of really good things with it. And there was a couple of really powerful moments like when the Death Raki are riding into the darkness and then all of the flames go out. I mean, that is an unbelievable moment. Yeah, that was but, cool. It was, in, and we talked about this when we when we talked about that episode. But it was just seeing what they made the behind the series thing about shed a lot of light on where they spent their time, and it's just not what I would have done if I was if I re- ruled the world, you know. Right. So, mm. um, one other really interesting point I want to bring up while we're talking about stuff we would do when we rule the world. Um, KJ's Emerald says that they would scrap Dorne altogether and use that time to develop Euron into something closer to book Euron. Right on. Which I really like. Yeah, because for sure. I Especially if he's going to be Dorne, there at the end with, with Jamie's final if, scene. Yeah, final, especially if you think scene. he's going to kill Jamie Lannister. Yeah. It would be awesome to really spend more time with him and to, and I know that he's supposed to like come out of nowhere as this menacing character, but instead of this off brand Johnny Depp, but. Oh, that was really interesting. <laughs> off-brand Johnny Depp, yeah. <laughs> I just rolled right off your tongue. You're like, this guy's an off-brand Johnny I've Depp. said it like 9,000 right times. Right on. You know, what we really needed was an answer 
to what we're all wondering. In my just retrospective look, I was thinking about all these things that I loved about the series and that I've been waxing on for all these damn years. And there's no answer. And that's part of what I liked about the end for certain reasons, things like potential exploration. But also, uh, I think a lot of people are missing that. I've come to terms with it, and I know that there's more to be done. But not everyone has had that same experience with being obsessed with stuff for their lives like I have. This might be one of their first goes at it, and they're wondering why they left this epic story that they've been following for so long so unsatisfied. And I think part of that answer is that we didn't brush up against the big, weird mystery enough in the end. Even with all Mm -hmm. the opportunity we had with Bran, we just didn't go there. Mm -hmm. Melisandre made shadow babies. Yeah. Or one that we know of. I'm just (laughs) just saying, John came back from the dead. I know that a really cool thing about having such a fleshed out universe is like going into a little pocket of it and it being so rich because so much is naturally happening in this universe. And in this case... This is a universe that George created. So we're living in one that is so vast that all of humanity has world religions, history stories about what all this is. George R. R. Martin made all of it himself and did the job in a, in a pretty thorough way of creating those situations, like I just said, where you could jump into it and it would feel full and good. And uh, I just think it's important to keep that moving forward if that's part of the universe in the first place. Right. And the, I mean, a lot of the magic, even when we talk about Bran and, and his capabilities, a lot of the magic, I feel like, was lost. There was no, like, last-minute warging. Like, when he's in the king's or the small council, he didn't. his eyes didn't, like, roll up in his head when he was rolling away or something. I mean, I think it was implied at some points, but that could also have been just us really reading into it. You can't go full hold the door and then apply in the final season where everyone's blowing all their loads and all these different effects and different— just horses, man. <laughs> a lot of horses and stuff. <laughs> horses and digging holes and like cleaning stuff up and feeding people. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, oh, I get what you're saying. So. So. Let we, us continue. Have we to talk solved about how the mystery of Game of Thrones yet? <laughs> yeah, that's not a really nice thing to do. This is owns of the series, everybody. Well, I hope it doesn't color the way. Sorry, I hope it doesn't color the way you feel about the whole series. And that's something that we really haven't talked about yet. I don't think that. I don't think that it does. It doesn't for me. This this is what I will... I'm all over the place. You're talking about these like really magical moments like Melisandre and the Shadow Baby. And <laughs> yeah, just magical. When Brinley was murdered in front of Brienne <laughs> and Catelyn in season two. <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah, I know Moments you that had a lot of deep, dark, ancient magic in them. That's right. But... One of our questions was, what moment of the series defines Game of Thrones for you? And as we think about things like Shadow Babies or moments at Hard Home or um, Warging or any of these types of things, what is, if you had to pick one thing that defines Game of Thrones, not necessarily Song of Ice and Fire, what are you going to pick? I'm going to pick the Red Wedding. Okay. I think that it had a just a miserable mixture of love and trust and arrogance and pride and weirdness and stuffiness and cruelness and just 
just prickliness mm-hmm. and the stuff with Roose Bolton really got me when he ran up yeah. to, to Rob and said the Lannisters send their regards. It just makes me feel so hopeless about the end of all things where it's like this is some of Rob's last moments and this bastard had the audacity not only to execute this thing but to go in his face and mention the Lannisters, not even his own people, just the ruthlessness of how far people can go and how – stupid you gotta be to put yourself in that situation yeah like good god well and even still like those feelings resonate time after time when you rewatch it you know at least for me yeah no it's not cool it's not cool especially when you look at the build-up of rob's campaign and and aria is so close to being there and nobody's listening to cat it's uh i think that definitely holds up that moment between when rob Mother says, oh my gosh, it like makes me want to die every time. See, those moments, you can never be brave unless you're scared. And when you're writing that, you're probably pretty scared. You're probably like, oh my God, like you're stabbing Talisa in the stomach, just adapting the red wedding. Every single thing you're putting down, you've got to be self-conscious about how it's coming out. But mm-hmm. But when you're brave, that's when, or when you're not, when you're, when you are scared, that is when you can be brave. I don't actually have this philosophy down. I'm just thinking about it in real time. I should probably think about integrating that kind of thing in my my own life, but that's beside the point. <laughs> you, that's why it was good. You know, that's why a lot yeah. of stuff is good when it's, yeah. when, it, when they go out on a limb. When you're in that moment and the red wedding is happening, like those extra lines, like that, that when Rob said that to Catelyn, that's a decided flourish. And we can't get to the moment or to the moments where we're witnessing your decided flourishes until you get us there. You right. can't jump from moment to moment without actually getting us there. You need to there set something lot. up and take us there. Yeah. We spent I mean, we spent that entire season building up to arguably that, you know, how long is a red wedding? Fifteen minutes? It's most of the episode, but you know what I mean? Yeah, I forget how long it is. You spend that whole that whole time really, yeah, weighing on I that exchange between the two of them. That's like the whole Stark dynasty is like right there. The hope hinges on it, and so yeah, just hopeless. It's a goodie. What about you? Um, I don't know. I feel like I kind of my initial reaction is to be a downer about it and be like, the ending doesn't make sense. So. Why does it matter? <laughs> like, God. is this about like what moment Ugh. defines the series because it was the most important and really played into the end game, or is it the moment that like really resonated with me as a viewer? I don't know, but I, I feel like there's there's a couple things, and a lot of people answered Ned Stark, which I think is a really good answer. Ned Stark being beheaded oh, because okay. when you when you talk about um, I thought you just meant like him in general. <laughs> I was like, I don't sorry. I don't disagree with that first episode, like the first ten minutes. I don't disagree with that. <laughs> What's the matter, Bran? <laughs> Father. I would say <laughs> I would say that probably like eighty percent of people who responded to that question for us said Ned Stark being beheaded was the most influential moment or like definitive moment of Game of Thrones, which I think is a hundred percent true, even if it's kind of cliche, just because that's the moment that really caught the attention of the world, you know? So I would put Ned Stark. Another one that stays with me a lot is Joffrey's death. Mm. That's like when I, when I think about Game of Thrones, 
just musing along in my day to day, one of the things that I will go back to when I'm thinking about the TV series a lot is Joffrey's <laughs> wedding and his death there. For I mean, I don't know why, but you're perfect. That really stands out to me. This pie just, is dry. <laughs> I just feel like <laughs> there's so, so much memories. going on. There's just so much going on there between Tyrion and Sansa and Cersei and the Tyrells. I feel like it's this beautifully complex moment. And I don't know. Remember like for me personally. Jamie and Loras when he was like, you know, you're not going to marry her, right? And he's like, neither will you. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Also, oh, Varys and all of his shade when he's sitting and like fanning himself. Like this wedding is entirely too much. Back when Varys was good at his job. Can you imagine how left out slash intrigued slash just kind of overall mad about being left out he must have been when he was witnessing Joffrey's execution? (laughs) 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 He's like not like for once in his life he's not like the one guy who's doing. He was worried though. He was like, "Damn, what? uh, (laughs) Let me think. Let me think. Let me think. Did I? (laughs) How could this come back on me?" It's so funny. Gosh. But just like the catalyst with everything that happens with Tyrion later on, you know, oh, yeah. and his trial, his trial scene, and you know how powerful that is. It kind oh of yeah, spins around Joffrey's death there. So I really like that scene. It's like the uh, the the purple wedding, which a lot of people wanted to call it because uh, everyone had so much fun saying red wedding before. And uh, also Hold the Door really stood out for people. That was another, like, the day after it happened, the week after yeah. it happened, people talking about it a lot. I've only watched that episode once because... Oh, man. No, that's not true, actually, because one time when we were doing our live stream, we were watching it <laughs> at the same time. Oh, yeah. Because that's just one of those episodes that was hard to watch. So I just, I haven't, that's probably the only one that I really haven't gone back to. It's one where I can watch the end and I get almost the original feeling every time, even though I know how many times he says Hodor or hold the door before it turns into Hodor at the end. Still love it. Still pretty awesome. The Winds of Winter. Also at the end of season six, Daenerys riding west was kind of a, or riding, sailing west with the, uh, the theme swelling and the dragons flying oh, man. was also quite nice. Man, season six was so good. It was good. I really like season six. I do too. Season it's, six is awesome. I just, I like season six. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, our next discussion question. Who was the most influential character in the series for the series? And then who was the most influential character for you personally? But let's talk about characters in the series and this is for game of thrones the tv show because i think the answer could be different when we look at a song of ice and fire Mm -hmm. and maybe i kind of answered a little bit for a song of ice and fire but whatever you want to go first uh i feel weird asking you a question and answering for myself but you want me to read the question no check this out who was the most influential character in the series what about for you personally hannah I'm glad well, you asked. <laughs> <laughs> wow, thanks for asking. I thought you'd never ask. Um, I mean, obviously, like, who matters to me most on a personal level is Sansa Stark, which I feel like I don't even have to talk about, but she's the best. Um, but I feel like characters that really influence the series, I really want to say Littlefinger. Even though I feel like he got done dirty near the end. But when you think about the first 
six seasons and who was really the catalyst behind everything. Mm-hmm. And this whole chaos is the latter thing. That was a, a, a latent mystery revealed all the way into season five that just made me have this weird explosive. And I'm sure everyone else that could still remember all the details just wait a second. Yeah. This guy, what? can't he do now and now Sansa's walking down the stairs in that outfit what's gonna happen next I feel like Littlefinger is just until he as all characters did at the end of the season series kind of become caricatures of themselves even though his death is really powerful I love that moment Lord Baelish it's like whoa Mm. um but I just feel like I feel like this whole idea of chaos being a ladder and just he doesn't really have a necessarily a plan and he's just kind of going from thing to thing like what his end game is is kind of unclear i feel like but i just feel like that makes him really powerful and un. he what am i trying to say like varus is much more is also playing strings and behind everything but he's i feel like a little bit more calculated and little fingers just unpredictable that's the word i was trying to think maybe of. it's it's the uh, connection with sansa and that's a huge difference between he and Varys when we've learned that they're so much alike throughout the course of the series. Maybe that's part of the lesson, just something his his obsession with Kat and then later as a transition to Sansa just being part of the reason why he can't make fully selfish or selfish. That's a pretty funny <laughs> way because he makes selfish decisions and his name is Baelish. He can't make yeah. too many selfish deci- uh, selfish uh, selfless decisions uh, without being distracted by the kinds of things that he wants in life. And even though he does a pretty good job of manning the situation, like we just talked about with his plots, it's still like generally tied to stuff that he should be avoiding. Mm-hmm. Which isn't very good. Well, and it makes him, I think, in terms of an overall character, just makes him more interestingly nuanced. That's because true. Of all yeah. Of that. So, you know, though, in say. Winterfell, like, what was he thinking? I know that he is in deep with Sansa, and we just talked about that. But what are you thinking when you're in Litter, uh, when you're in Winterfell, and they have been reunited, Arya and Sansa, and Bran also. They've been reunited after all of that time. And you can just imagine what that struggle must have been like for everyone. Who in the right mind would even consider the possibility of splitting up sisters? Especially Stark sisters. At that point, it just seems like a gross oversight. Just like, was he ever good in the first place? Right. Which is really meta when you're transitioning to the young to the old. Right, that's what I'm saying. I feel like I didn't necessarily want to give him as my answer because I just feel like he lost it so much at the end and I don't know how it's going to play out in A Song of Ice and Fire because I do think his love for Sansa is going to really be his downfall and it was in the TV show but um, yeah I don't I mean I don't know if that was just a really oversimplified way to say that he got in too deep with Sansa and trusted too much his influence over her because his own mind was clouded by, as well. yeah, you know, or if he really just made a really stupid mistake. It's, I don't know. <sighs> Nestor Royce wasn't his fan. Uh-huh. Basically, what I'm saying is he didn't have the he didn't have the love of the men of the Vale. That would have changed things. Yeah, but even yeah. then, it's just a dumb thing for him to get so far in with Sansa and to potentially mess that up by being scheming with her family. Like, maybe you guys are close, Baelish. Maybe this is the end of your plotting and you found your ally. Well, maybe consider her feelings. Maybe her 
sister is important to her and like you scheme with everyone else like if you need to isolate her to feel like she depends on you like maybe just isolate her and aria and brand right. I, don't, I don't know try something else like anything else or maybe like sansa isn't an idiot anymore you know so you can't manipulate her the same way that you've been able to kind of really control her narrative. Well, it's not like she was challenged seasons. very hard. There's like clues being left around Winterfell, like literal notes and stuff to trace back to Baelish for, for being a creepo. You know what I mean? It's not it's like so it's not like he was coming at her, her with like season seven, like new endgame Baelish. It was just she recognized his moves from a mile away. It was just, yeah, it was disappointing. But let's not think about that. At least that. that's we my opinion, about everyone. <laughs> let's think about Littlefinger when he, like, let's think about him and Cersei. Remember that like, power is power scene? Oh, yeah. That's the kind of Littlefinger I want to be thinking about. It's just a ladder. Different moment, mm-hmm. but same deal. Same kind of situation. Also, just being like, I think Tywin Lannister is still alive. Oh, wait, yeah, he definitely is. So no matter how much I like you, Ned, and how likable you are, and how much, you know, Catelyn married you instead of me, <laughs> I'm definitely going to turn on you in this moment because now I'm important and now they got my back. Once only brothel, owner, master of coin, now bros with the Lannister guys. Like, what's up? I'm your dude. <laughs> I just made the whole city watch turn against Ned Stark. Did you see that happen? We also killed some Stark men in the throne room just to add a little sauce onto the fire. Rest in peace, unknown named Starkman. I love it. That's been a lot of the series, a lot of these victorious moments, stuff that like stands out to us like that where we talk about it and we don't really have any criticisms to offer. I think that those are that that's like the lifeblood of the series. And uh I'm glad that so much good stuff was laid out in a row on this show. It just seemed like overwhelming at points. And when I was asking you earlier about comparing those to those TV series and how they made you feel. Well, for me, when I think about it, I would probably still say that that Mad Men was my favorite TV series. And I think I've said that pretty consistently over the years, even though I love Game of Thrones so damn much. It's just a level of consistency that they reach that's pretty mesmerizing. And as a whole, it really brings things together for me. I like the unity of things when when it's clear that love and attention and care was truly pumped into every detail possible and so much of game of thrones was like that yeah but do you think that you would have felt Mad Men isn't based off of a story that's half written you know do you think that that changes the way that you feel about the end of game of thrones because of your love for a song of ice and fire and i think that season seven was a big turning point where a lot of people who were big book readers really hated what was going on, but a lot of people who were just casual show watchers were still along for the ride. Mm -hmm. But then by the time you get to the very end, I think everybody's kind of been like, wait a second, this doesn't feel like the way it used to feel. Yeah, that's the best way I've heard it described, honestly. Yeah, I wonder if... uh, Thanks. I wonder if you you love Mad Men and resonate with it so much. It is, I mean, not... It's just less ambitious, you know, for them to nail it. It's a right, there's it's nothing this to... world. We have recognized all the different like stuff from the story. You know, it's the story of a guy. The expectations are much different. Not that it's not a good show because I like it too, but the expectations are different. The thing is, whenever you're presenting yourself in front of the gods and you're saying, "Here is what I'm presenting," the gods don't care what it is or like how hard you tried. The audacity of you making the choice has paid for the potential hard work. You don't get to quote the hard work to justify it maybe not pleasing them entirely. You either please them or you don't. It's a tough world out here. 
Who are the gods in this well, case? I think all of us <laughs> or something. It just It's just the immaterial yes that makes something work or not was just, I mean, it was absent. I mean, it's just like the overall, la, 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 you know what I'm saying? That thing. But it wasn't always absent. No, but it was a lot easier to keep on going. I promise it's going to come. Just by having really cool ways to promise you. Yeah. No, I feel you. I mean, No pressure, George R. R. Martin. But that doesn't change. I mean, this is the question we've been asking this whole episode. It's like, that doesn't change how we feel about the series overall. Oh, definitely not. No. You know? What a great way to talk about it in this owns of the series episode. Um, You didn't answer the question, though, about your most influential character. I picked my most influential character of the series would be Arya because she killed the Night King and she ended that whole storyline and the whole potential disaster plot. And for me personally, the, I took that question as to ask who was the most influential character to me, not who I thought was the most influential character because that was the first part of the question. So I translated our own question flawlessly and came up with Tyrion because I feel like Tyrion, to me, went through more things that I could relate to than most everyone else. And I felt like he had gone, by the course, by the time the series was spent, he had gone through so many different locales, so many different levels of exposure to comfort, and had been faced with the responsibility of dealing with the falling action from his either well-informed, misinformed, well-intentioned, or misintentioned actions. And I was able to look and understand more, most, I'd say, from him, rather than Bran, for example, who maybe has some kind of connection to my childhood. But it just, as far as the numbers are concerned, this isn't really based on importance. It's just a how it ended up stacking up. I would like to be able to say the same for Danny, but I also don't have a lot of those issues. Like I don't have a bunch of people like holding me up going like, we love you. We love you. So that's not, right. that's not what the deal is. No, I think that's a good answer. I think, I think Terry is a great answer. I think also about moments that really resonate with me just as a whole Tyrion is in a lot of those conversations and, and even moments in this last season, I feel like he was able to kind of, shoulder some of that burden to push the narrative along in a way that he hadn't in season seven, you know? Like, so. like we talked about, like those conversations that he had started having and like saying no to Danny up on that hilltop. I mean, it basically came down to Tyrion in the end. Like some of us right. thought it might, and it, it kind of did. It kind of, and it kind of has with him being the hand. It's really, that's an, a very exciting prospect to me. Because it's somebody that we do resonate with and care so much with. And even in this last season when they maybe didn't handle things the way that we would have liked them to, Tyrion still, I think in my opinion, hit the mark more than he had in the past. Oh, yeah. So, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a pretty big saving grace and made the first part of that finale episode really work for me. It's hard not to mm-hmm. keep talking about in-game stuff in this post-game episode because it just no, but happened. I, I think that it all kind of encapsulates what mattered in the series to us and how that plays into what we just watched. I mean, I know it's been a little while, but I think it's still been heavy on all of our minds. Did you pick so. a character that influenced you personally the most? I just Sansa is just my everything. Okay. I mean, even 
in the most cliche way, but I just think so much about who she is and her growth as a woman throughout the series is something that I could only ever aspire to be. And so I just love everything about her and I love how she could still be this extremely feminine and naive girl who then turns into this extremely feminine and smart and strong woman. I just I just have always loved just always loved Sansa. There's no like deeply philosophical reason why. Other than she I think that some of that fave. was pretty philosophical. She's just my fave. George so. R. Martin, did he like create some of her experiences in the series as an analog of general womanhood or of growing like moments where she's getting her period when she's uh, I think that was in a clash of Kings and uh, that's sort of happening around the same time. She's like seeking friendship with other people in an unfamiliar environment. And then like some people get her ear over here and then some people get her ear over here. And then she has to find out that it's not really about her, but it's about like how she deals with what everyone else is trying to get for themselves. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I don't, I can't speak for what George R. R. Martin's large sweeping commentaries are, but one thing that I really do and did resonate with, especially early on in the series, is Sansa being a dumb teen who is interested in love and glory and a rose-colored view of what the world looks like and makes some mistakes and isn't kind to her siblings and she's bratty and it's like, what 13-year-old girl hasn't been that way and who can't relate to that experience and Slytherin (laughs) but I just like I deeply relate to this hope that you could someday be part of all these knights in shining armors and castles and fairy tale life and then you kind of make decisions based off that along the way realizing that sometimes it works in your favor and sometimes it doesn't and I just I've always just really resonated with what she's up to right on Right yes. on. What, Love you, Sansa. What did uh, let's read some comments from the community. That's a great thing to say. All right, here's one from Baby Blue Tinfoil at T Toot O Five. Stannis never had a character taken hold of me for so long. I can't believe we went through this whole episode and we didn't talk about Stannis literally once. I had an internal monologue going. Okay. That's good. I was hoping at some point we could break it out. Maybe we'll use this opportunity. Thank you, Baby Blue. <laughs> I have Stannis <laughs> written wax down still. So we're still going. There's still time. Oh, for like your own of the whole series. Hey, man. I didn't say anything ahead of time. I just said I have them written down. Interesting. Sometimes I'm like really hyped on the Stannis train. And sometimes I feel like pre-Shireen being burned, yeah. I could get hype on the Stannis tr- train and then after that, the turning point, it was too much for me. It kind of seemed like it was forever, too. Like, those days would never go away. Like, we'd yeah. always be living in those days. Stannis is correcting grammar. We're like, oh, God, do you remember that? Stannis, oh, my God, I love Stannis. But, yeah, didn't last very long. Next, we've got uh, <laughs> Jay Beldewolf, who says, Most influential character, Ned Stark. By saving his nephew from certain death and by being an honorable man to a fault, he launched the entire series. All of the children in his care, Rob, John, Theon, Sansa, Arya, Bran, they all acted in a way they thought would make him proud. Keep his legacy alive. Bran is king. Sansa's queen. John is happy. <laughs> LOL. Arya isn't a murderer. Great job, Papa Stark. Arya's still a murderer, though. I mean, she did kill the Night King. <laughs> Can you... 
be considered a murderer if you kill death, though? It just kind of cancels itself out. Also, does that cancel out all the other wrongdoing she's done in her life? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I spent, I've spent too much time hating on the last two seasons. I feel like I need to stop because, which I say every single episode, I feel like, but... If we just had this really amazing opportunity for Arya to turn into this unbelievable assassin. And the way that she killed the Night King was just like jumping out from the top of a tree or out of nowhere that oh, nobody yeah. can quite comprehend. And that was her one huge assassin moment, which I keep downplaying because she killed the Night King. But you know what I'm saying? There was also the attack on Walter Frey, though. Remember? At the beginning of season six. Oh, yeah. That rocks. The North remembers. That's her using her, that's her, I feel like maybe that's enough of everything that she's learned. The payoff for that is enough in that moment in and of itself. I have too high of expectations. I don't know. I mean, I feel like there was, it's it's kind of like what we were talking about before. There was all that momentum of the moment of expectation moving forward. And in in that sense, with Arya killing the Night King, I don't think this was anyone's fault. But it's kind of like a happy coincidence that the person that kind of has to shoulder all the weight of being the one to make that happen and to have it make sense in the story is Arya, who we think is awesome. So it's kind of hard to like slight her for having done it because then that would mean you're kind of not cheering for Arya. And she does have all that backstory of uh, becoming dangerous and fighting with such accuracy that it makes sense. But I think we were waiting for some kind of mythical connection with Bran and the the tree and uh, all of the the time travel making sense like the white walkers knowing where to go and when to go and how to do it when they get there of it all just kind of reaching that moment and instead it was just Arya's training having paid off and uh, outsmarted the people that were I guess focused mm-hmm. too resolutely on their goal to kill Bran remember Arya in season was it season six Mm-hmm. When she remember we were just talking about how much we love season six, but I completely forgot about the Arya storyline in season six. Right. Yeah. Arya and the wave. The worst. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the worst ever. But we did get that play though. That was pretty oh, cool. Oh yeah, I was just about to say yeah. that was really cool. The War of the Five Kings depic- depicted with the Bravosi crowd cheering. And Arya watching with her little space buns. Space that was space a really cool buns moment. and uh like uh, awkward happiness after having been unhappy for so long in the series. Just these like bright moments of Arya laughing at the dismay of Joffrey getting mistreated on the stage. It was like, oh, I like this, but. But it's one of those cool meta moments, you know, live for it. Uh, next, we've got Churlis Flapdragon at Billy Shake 77 who says, I first thought of Tyrion, but the more I thought about it, the more I considered Melisandre's impact across the seasons. Love her, hate her, or go between the two emotions, she had an unbelievable impact on people, psychologically, emotionally, physically, for better or worse. I think that's an interesting answer because I don't think Melisandre is somebody who would be necessarily at the top of my list, but you, when you think about it, she was a pretty major catalyst for, we were talking about the shadow baby earlier, that in and of itself is pretty huge. I'm really curious about the catalyst that sent her to see Stannis in the first place. I guess we'll never know. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Well, I mean, you know, she helped us out at that last battle for the living in such a She brought John back to life. Yeah, there you go. She brought John back to life. And he killed Daenerys, right? Saved the day from everyone. (laughs) For everyone. 
becoming an issue. <laughs> I like that the answers to both of these questions is so personal, even though one of them is specifically about it being directed toward you. Inside of that, there's layers of difference between how people answer that question. Right. It's like what we were saying at the beginning of the episode, where when you think about the answers to these types of questions and you just trust your gut and go with it, it brings out a ton of different interesting like we have one more that i wanted to touch on before we desalius i don't know how to say your name i'm sorry <laughs> uh says at pedro pascal one wins all mine the character was exactly what i pictured and was around not nearly enough despite the book accuracy like i was saying the show was extremely at least for me deeply character driven and there's so many different people that we can identify on a very personal level and so I think especially somebody like Pedro Pascal who comes and knocks it out of the park despite not being around for very long. I think it's, um, I don't know. It's just interesting that there's, like you said, there's so many different answers to this question. And there's not a wrong answer in terms of who is the most important or influential because so many people, nobody won. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good point, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, there's not like a clear and, and, or a clear good or evil or a clear winner or loser. And mm-hmm. that's, I mean, I guess there are clear losers, but you know what I'm trying to say? I'm thinking of so. Sinia and Cass and the relationship with the Boltons. Yeah, exactly. A lot of different people are going to impact you in different ways, depending on like what you yourself are bringing to the series. So Pedro Pascal really did bring over Martel to another level and just brought a lot of people into the fold for the series. They were just like, oh, yeah, I can relate to watching this charming guy on screen that makes sense this isn't a show, show that has like purely depressing british accents and guys from lord of the rings <laughs> there's like real life in color and like depth to what's going on i think the gray tones were like a lot were a lot for some people early on just all the time with john and the north they were just like why are we doing this yeah until we get to the end of the series when it's just gray tones two four all seven. winter all the time and it's so dark that nobody can see it all right hannah <laughs> time has now come what is, is this your... the most important <laughs> sorry no please I was to say, is this the most important own we will ever give? Should we put so much weight on it that we will be won't want to say anything? My stomach just felt queasy. I want to drag Are this we... moment out as long as possible. Here's my question before we go into it. Are we allowed to have more than one answer? I have like three answers that I can't choose between. I think it takes some of the importance off the moment, but I don't think anyone listening will mind and I don't mind. It's, okay. it's like you said, this is this might be the most important one we ever give. Because there's like moments, there's like some <laughs> stuff I want to give my own. <laughs> there's some stuff I want to give my own to because it's when I think about Game of Thrones, it's like my favorite line in Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. But then there's some stuff I want to give my own to because it was really well done, you know? I don't know. Okay, whatever. Yeah, I'm ready. Am I? I don't know. I'm giving it to multiple things. It, it is what it is. Okay, cool. I think you should go first. Yes, <laughs> I could just keep sitting here like babbling on. Anna, what is your own for Game of Thrones? Um. <laughs> okay. Well, one of the okay. I'm sorry. I'm going to do multiple things. Number one, we already talked about it, but that Tommen's death sequence, all of that, love that moment. 
this is so stressful. I have like eight <laughs> things written down and I'm trying to figure out. Which. Okay, here's the other two. I wish we Maybe just had Light of the Seven playing right now in the background. I wish we had the Light of the Seven remix playing in the background. <laughs> <laughs> That's oh, the geez. best version. Okay, Tyrion killing Tywin to me is a moment that I love so much when he's got the crossbow pointed at him. Um, that is a moment that I deeply like. I respect you. It's so good. <laughs> it's just like the two of them. I respect there, that. All of it. It's just unbelievable. Um, when Tyrion asks Sansa if she's something about Joffrey and she's like, I'm loyal to Joffrey, my one true love, blah, blah, blah. And he says, Lady Stark, you may survive us yet. Oh, man. That's also like an all-time fave. Deep cut with that one. I think that that's probably my own of the series because... Because it's, it's the just, deepest cut of the list? No, because that's the one I kept going back and forth on, and that's the one I want to give my own to the series, but I feel like it's such a small, weird, deep cut moment that it doesn't count. But as we were talking about Sansa and everything I love about her and who she became and who she progressed into becoming, like Tyrion has this... Tyrion sees... I think that he's kind of making a quip at her a little bit but it's also this intensely profound moment and there's so many layers to what's going on there that I really like that then the other one I was thinking about is when Tyrion demands his trial by combat and he's like I wish I was the evil man you think I am oh man but mostly okay I had to go through all of this to get to my answer which is Lady Stark you may survive us yet Uh, (laughs) okay okay, yeah that's my own for Game of Thrones okay anyway that was not a good deal but here we are. We're just just your the turn. two of us. This is not a lot of fanfare. I can't wait for your mental breakdown in the middle of answering this question. <laughs> I have two answers to this question. I wrote down one. It was the first thing that came to mind, but I, I didn't feel like it was solid enough. And I don't feel like it's solid enough, even though the whole series is over. And we were talking about it earlier. That word that I thought of was mystery. Something that we've been talking about since the beginning of this podcast and something that's had me coming back to this show and to A Song of Ice and Fire with the same kind of wild-eyed mysticism that I did with all the fantasy books I read when I was a kid. But this one wasn't silly, hadn't really gotten silly, and sort of mystified all of us. It became this strange, grown-up not YA story because there's lots of incest and violence, but you know, Love me some YA. the kind of thing that we could all sort of rally around like it was that. I don't know if this was the actual succession of things, people, but it didn't seem like it went from it was like Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, Twilight, Game of Thrones. Twilight, you can't put Twilight into sorry, that. I miss Hunger sorry. Games. Hunger Games was in there somewhere, and I'm sorry about Twilight also, but. That seems to be how we made it through the turning of the century. And I'm all right with that. But mystery. Mystery, mystery. I'm still wondering about Quaith. And my second part of it. Wait, so your own is to mystery? Yeah, the mystery of the series, you know. I know it's not very good, but I just couldn't I couldn't solidify. I couldn't get it there yet, but I feel like I hadn't got I haven't had the answer given to me either. I don't think it's a bad answer. It's like what kept us coming back for more. I want to know about the world. I want to really know about the organizing principles that make it all work. How 
Melisandre birthed that Shadow Assassin. I don't think that that's at the top layer of their universe. You know, I don't think it's too far to get into. I don't need to see the face of God to know how she made a shadow baby. When I know that she's using other sorts of oils and perfumes to make things work in an enchanted necklace, this seems like a different school of magic. And I just want to know about it. And my other part, are you excited about hearing it? Are you wondering if it will be just as esoteric as the last? (laughs) (laughs) I'm amped. Uh, Own the series, part two. When I was watching (sighs) the end of season four, and we hadn't yet read the books, Feast and Dance, on the podcast. And so I was unspoiled to certain developments. and A simpler time. Yeah, it was a simpler time. And I was watching the TV show, mine and my own beeswax. Jon Snow is walking north to treat with Mance Raider. Tormund's there. Jon's about to jump for the blade. We know the fight was brutal. It was also pretty fun, and everybody had a great time. <laughs> but it's pretty dangerous right now. And we've had a week to decompress, and it's Sunday night. And Stannis the Manus arrives. I'm seeing these these troops, this overhead aerial shot. I'm seeing these energetic horses jump through the trees. I'm seeing this over-industrious guy with a spear think that he's going to go save the day on his own. And Stannis doesn't flinch. Davos doesn't blink. I just loved the decision from Stannis and company to turn their campaign north because things weren't working and the Lannisters were, uh, or the uh, the Tyrells decided to help the Lannisters and Tywin decided to take his army south and help at King's Landing and then the Starks were destroyed. There's just so much that changed and he decided to go north and deal with the others, presumably because of the letter, the letter that reached him. But the way that it all worked out with Melisandre saying that you're the you are Azor High and your task is to help solve this problem. It was just the kind of answer from the series I wasn't expecting at that point to mm-hmm. to turn and start acknowledging the the White Walkers and it was someone so official and so a part of everything and, and it just, so practical. Yeah. And it just got better when he was taking a shining to John and things seemed like they were going to be, it was like when you're in the tunnel leaving the Whomping Willow and Sirius, Sirius is like, I've got a house in London if you want to come stay. And also I'll sign your permission form. Yeah. So that was cool. Yeah. That was I, it. I'm just smiling sitting here <laughs> thinking about the good old days with Stannis. It's a good own. It was I so like fun. It. I just loved his, his whole deal in heading north. So those are our owns. Hmm. All right, people. I'm really excited about this one because (laughs) this is going to be all over the map. I'm ready for this. First, we got Peter at P94 at home who says, Hardhome gave me the most memorable own. When the Night King raised his hands, I remember seeing myself in the TV reflection and I was staring in with my mouth open. That episode was legendary. Hashtag shock and awe. Nice. Jen Calhoun, my own for the series goes to Theon Greyjoy, the most compelling and complete character arc I've ever seen on TV. The range of emotions you feel for him as time goes by is incredible. And for him to die with the love of the Starks, protecting Bran just destroys me every time. Best death in the season. 
at Heathen King. My own for Game of Thrones goes to Jon Snow. Once I was broken, a shell of a person wounded by someone I'd trusted. I found solace in the story. A boy murdered for doing what he thought was right, who came back to life and fought to reclaim his home, who became hashtag King in the North. KJS Emerald. Own to Lena Headey, who was perfect from beginning to end. Travis Cole, my own for Game of Thrones, would have to go to Tyrion in season two when he track or tricks Jano Slint, but not Littlefinger or Varys. I think it shows Tyrion at his A game and what he's truly capable. When denying the existence of Slint's honor was baller. Hashtag Impin ain't easy. K Blankford, my own goes to Rickon, the only Stark kid to na- <laughs> never actually do something. I still remember. <laughs> <laughs> J Bell, the wolf, my own goes to moments that made pop cultural hit. <laughs> my own goes to moments that made pop culture history. Ned Stark's execution, the Red Wedding, Jon Snow death and resurrection, and making dragons and other fantasy elements mainstream. Sean of House Heckert, my own goes to Bronn, who went from scrappy sword to Lord of the Reach by putting up with eight seasons of the Lannisters and their family bullshit. Bronn! <laughs> Tully became a hater. Angie the Strange to every scene that had me hugging myself and rocking back and forth saying no, 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 no. Miss Rider 24, owner of the series. I suppose that goes to all the characters who survived to tell their stories. Serious Blackwater, amazing. I still laugh every time when Ed and Gren chime in on Sam saying, well, I read it in a book when discussing when discussing horn blasts at the fists of the first men. Extra points for being related to horns, but my own really goes to the same... Every time enjoyment I experience watching Tyrion's musical chairs. Never forget who you are. Thanks for all the years of podcasts and all those to come. That musical chairs moment. That's so good. I'm so glad you pointed that out. Mrs. Souter, owner of the series, goes to either Sansa or Arya Stark. Sansa for being the ultimate victim to Survivor storyline and Arya for being a scrappy little badass and for killing the Night King. Caddy Venture, owned to George R. R. Martin for creating this incredible world. Caitlin Marie, owned to Arya for knowing who she was from the beginning and staying true to it. The ultimate badass. Hashtag, that's not me. Hashtag, a girl is Arya Stark of Winterfell and I'm going home. Scully 5, my own goes to that moment when Danny is on the ship heading to Westeros. It was a culmination of all her conquering efforts and the alliances she forged positioned her to rule the Iron Throne. Tommy Barley, own of the series, goes to winner for only lasting three weeks. <laughs> Sally Keeney, owned to the actors, all of them. They did a phenomenal mm. job and worked under grueling conditions at times, only to have viewers moan and pick things apart in the end. Amy Miller, my own goes to all the characters that I hated in the beginning that by the end became my absolute favorites. The Hound, Jamie Lannister, and Theon Greyjoy. I truly was owned by the writers as my feelings for each of these characters did a complete 180 throughout the series. Warren Heyman, my own goes to the people that devised the opening credits. Changed episode by episode, series by series. Not many TV shows place such stock in the opening credits. Shame the last series was such a disappointment, but never mind. John Hendricks, my own goes to the Hound. He had the best character arc, made a friend in Arya, was there to protect Sansa, and got his revenge against his evil brother. Kathy Miser Thedo, my own for the series to George R. R. Martin for creating a universe that we all got swept up into. Characters that are compelling and a story that realistically presents itself. Hashtag, I love this freaking universe. Annie Blythe, my own goes to the writers, cast, and production artists for owning us for eight seasons. I honestly can't think of a television show I've cared more about, even when I felt it misstepped here or there. It's been consistently riveting and fun for years. 
How many TV shows can we say that about? I'm grateful for the experience. Me too, Annie. Jeff Dodge, my own of the series and first ever own, is a giant thank you to everyone involved with Game of Thrones. Thank you to the cast and crew, the producers, directors, writers, editors, composer, stunt doubles, extras. Thank you to HBO for putting this show on the air. Thank you to David and Dan, and thank you, George. And an honorable mention to Game of Thrones. Thank you. Thanks, Jeff. Jen Hood Burgles. How are we supposed to pick just one when there's so many to choose from? Welcome to my world. Like the dragons. The fucking dragons were so cool. I will truly miss them. And with the mission of dragons, we need to talk about how awesome the direwolves were. I would literally kill to have one of my own, especially if I could have a Starktastic war connection with it. Speaking of the Starks, they totally deserve an own all on their own for being nearly defeated in the first half of the series to having an epic comeback of the se- uh, of ending the series, ruling it all. King Bran the Broken, I effing hate that title for him. <laughs> Sansa, Queen of the North. John is King Beyond the Wall. And Arya, the pirate princess that deserves the spinoff most. Jamie and Cersei dying. I like how she made John King be on the wall, by the way. Just a little side <laughs> detail, headcanon. Jamie and Cersei dying as they came into the world together owned everyone as no one got the joy of being the one to kill them. Sir Brienne was knighted, the first woman of the Seven Kingdoms to be knighted, and by Jamie fucking Lannister, no less. Knighted, then bedded by the Kingslayer. Mm, Mother May. Crown, sword, bed, emojis, question marks, exclamation points. Thank you, Jen. Chance Green, so tough. My own has to go to Ned. Seven seasons after his death, and he's still my favorite character. His lessons and way of life influenced all the Starks and John all the way to the end. Everything John did were things I could see Ned doing. Crystal Gaynor, my own goes to Ramin Javadi. The music 100% matches the show perfectly and the lack thereof in some scenes. Amanda McGowan, my own goes to the editors of the series because they owned us. I keep reading all these articles about deleted scenes that could have explained so much. Rochelle Williams, my own goes to House Tyrell for putting a wedge in the Baratheon-Stark-Lannister conflict for all those seasons. Didn't break the will, but made it roll a little funny for a while. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Erica Dowling, my own of the series goes to the Stark family, including John. At times, it seemed like they would never make it out alive, and some didn't. But overall, they overcame and survived. Hashtag Year of the Stark. Hashtag Still a Danny Fangirl. And from Christopher Walker, my own goes to Rob Stark. His early death shocked and disappointed me so much that all the later deaths and disappointments were cushioned for me. Hashtag the King of the North. King of the North, King of my heart. Shane G says, own to Marjorie Tyrell for being the love of my life. Still mourning her death. Okay, Hannah, you ready for the last one? Give it to me. Not technically the last one, but the last one that we're reading for Owns of the Series. Are you ready for Mm -hmm. this? So, it's time to read it? (laughs) Yes. All right. From Christina Hill, our final loan for Owns of the Series for Game of Thrones. Christina Hill writes on Facebook, in the styling of Oberyn Martell, Tell your father I'm here. (laughs) (laughs) Yay! (laughs) Thanks, Christina, and thanks to all of you for writing in your owns of the series, especially so far after the end of Game of Thrones when you maybe were jumping into some kind of summer, late spring vacation in this year of our 2K19. The final year of GOT. There's no vacations from Game of Thrones. Well... Not, that's Here's not true. You news. took a small vacation a couple weeks ago. That's extremely <laughs> <true>. <laughs> Here's the good news is that we still have so much left in A Song of Ice and Fire that 
there's no time to be bummed out because the best is yet to come. And we were just talking in that 45 minute break that we took before we did owns about <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> yeah, funny, right? <laughs> <laughs> about the, uh, some, some prequel news that we're going to talk about on the next podcast. That's exciting about the costumes. Yeah. I feel like what we were talking about, it's going to come faster than we think. So we've got prequel stuff to look forward to and I'm really excited. So we've been talking about this a little bit as we came to the end of the season, but we're going to dive into the Winds of Winter sample chapters. Oh yeah. Over the course of the next couple of weeks. Oh, and yeah. so that's gonna be such a blast. So start brushing up on those. We're gonna be asking for owns in the coming weeks when it's time to get into it. But I'm I've been loving this season and I've had the best time ever, but I'm really excited to get back to business with the source material. Me too. You know? Mm-hmm. Get back to book club. Book club's going to be fun. I was actually thinking about joining an actual book club, but I don't know the first thing about it. Like, where do you find people? Do you go on Craigslist and just go like, I want to be in a book club? Have you heard of meetup.com? That's where you go. Meetup.com? Yeah, or you go to any <laughs> church. <laughs> Is that a sponsor that I don't know about? <laughs> oh, that's good. Or you can go to any church. If you're a new listener of the podcast and you're not sure what happens in our off season, it's just going to be more of this. And so much more, except the world keeps on changing and getting even more complicated. So it's probably just entertaining to tune in and see what will happen over time because it's been so long. So, so long, Hannah. We haven't talked about the books in so long. You can go to GameOfOwns.com to find all of the previous episodes of our podcast. And you can tweet us at Game of Bones if you'd like to say hello, or you could send us an email to contact at gameofbones.com. You could leave us a nice, very kind, five-star, generous five-star review on iTunes. That's Hannah's favorite. It's just one of the most kind things that you could do for us today. Even though it's the off-season and no one cares about Game of Thrones anymore, you (laughs) care, and we care, and we'll be back. Right, Hannah? We'll be back really soon. With Winds of Winter sample chapters. All right, let's get hyped. Get hyped. Bye.